Hey, welcome back to part two. Now we're going to pick up right where we left off, jump right back into it. Um, this episode will teach you that life changes at a drop of a dime, a conversation, um, everything that you thought was true or that you had a handle on. It's not. It's it's not in your pocket. Um, and everything is fleeting. So just stay tuned. Listen to this one. Um, super interesting. Uh, let me know what you think, as always. So I would have to go eat separately. So then they begin to ostracize yeah, you they because begin, you weren't. Yeah, it it wow. was a it was a positive feedback loop and at one positive, it, like the the worse I did, the worse the culture became for me. A negative feedback I, loop. Yeah, well, positive in the fact that it it the it it was self repeating and it kept getting worse as it okay, went along. Okay, yeah, okay, I got but you. um. At another point, the coach pulled me aside and said, all right, Jake, you're out of the locker room. And I said, what does that mean? He says, you can't go into the locker room and change clothes. Like, you're just not in there. And if you have a good workout, maybe we'll let you back in. So the code was, cha- the code was changed. He's and keep pushing the goal all, all of the yeah. other All of the other athletes on the team, there's only like 16 other athletes in cross country. And there's like a, there's 40 on the track and field team. Um, so they got to go into the locker room and I'd show up to practice either showing up in my clothes from my dorm room or I'd have to change in like the, like the pedestrian, like bathroom, right? like with my book bag and change into my, it it was humiliating and demoralizing and the NARP, what do they call it? NARPs? Oh, quite. Yeah. What are they? Non-athletic regular people. Yeah. I heard someone say that at my college. They they kept pushing me more and more tarp knives. NARP lifestyle, and it's it's great you mentioned that because yeah. NARP was like the epitome of what I was trying to avoid. It was horrifying. It was my worst fear. I did not want to be reduced to that. And you know, That's like crazy. There's that nothing. Ju- I feel like even to use that language of like you wouldn't want to be reduced to that, which is a very real experience for you. But it's like being a NARP, right, and going to college. It's like it's okay. It's I'm okay. Like, I come, I'm it's, so confused. It's so okay to. Anyone like, except for a Division One student athlete, See what I'm saying, like, who has worked so about? hard to get to where they were, and years later, I'm like, fuck it, it's okay, it's so okay, it's so. Like, I'm okay. like, I'm thinking about like my college experience, for example. Like, went to a Division Two school, you know, smaller school, uh, mainly a business and health science uh, school, um, close to the city, you know, a lot of c- connections and stuff like that. But the goal was for you, to, literally for the school, the program, for you to get a job, right? Work experience, jobs, that type of thing. So it's like, yeah, I'm not saying you, you shouldn't play sports, but if you do, like, that's, we looked at it, NARPs, as being extra to play a sport. Or, you know, that's cool. Or, you know, you hey, you did something cool. Or, you know, we'll come watch your game. You're our friend. But it wasn't, you know, like, no one's going to the NBA type of thing. People, but I see, you know, but but they were even saying that at my school. So I can only imagine what it'd be like at a Division One school of like a NARP, like oh, like oh, you're not on a team, like you're not a team house or something like that. That's the wow. thing at at UConn, kids in in that basketball program are quite literally going to the NBA, and kids Old in that yeah, kids in that NFL program, as shitty as it is, you know, and some do get drafted, you know, for sure. I actually a couple every year, despite how 
Yeah. UConn is the worst Division One program since I was there. <laughs> but you go into their athletic facilities and they have murals of every athlete that's been drafted, who's gone right? to drafted to the NFL. And need I say less about that's the basketball lot, huh? program? The thing about track and field is there's no professional realm. Yeah, that's the. the there is a professional realm, but if you're at the top of Division One USA, you're probably an Olympian. There is no higher standard. standard, yeah. And that's kind of the level we were at. They were trying to produce Olympians. One of my teammates ran a four flat or a four hundred five mile and wow. a four flat mile while in our freshman year. And actually, you know, just to cut to the chase, he is out of nine athletes the only one who made it to their senior year. The other eight did not make it. So that that means you had an eight percent chance of doing four years of your division if you're of yeah, your sport yeah, that's so that says a lot about the coach not every division one program is like that but that's just the experience that, i went through but, but i think that a lot of division i would actually say the opposite i think a lot of division one programs may be like that because look at the construction of the team right like you said 40 people let's just take cross country for example 16 men right 16 men can't make it through all four years we've got new guys coming in every single year we're getting the cream of the crop of mm-hmm. high school we've got to weed this out they were burning prospects at a rate higher than professional leagues and it's you know it's if i'm the one That's to break tough. this story i will die on this hill to get that coach fired again the grandiosity yeah no i mean <laughs> i'm joking I'm just no with you dude. don't have to because i'm just messing with you but the, the no yeah break the story go the, ahead the okay. level of vengeance i felt in my heart for this coach because this one this went on for months they ostracized you that's they they ostracized me the harder i tried the more i did i changed my diet completely i counted my calories every hour every hour of my day was prepared week Mm -hmm. by week and if you haven't noticed already i had no time to make friends outside of the team because every hour of my day was put towards the team so friends from not not to mention a lot of people i went to high school with started Asking me how it was going, and I—that's the number one question, right? If, if I if I opened up to them, they would they would kind of take a step back and they say, "Well, man, that's a that's a lot to take in." And yeah, some, it's always the it's always the well, that's crazy. Well, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> well, that's crazy. Sorry, like going that. through that. Like, and yeah. I sometimes I'd start crying when I was opening up to them, and it felt like I could only push people away during this period. Um, it was the darkest time of my life. It was single-handedly the darkest time of my life. So so what turned that around? What was that one thing, moment? What was that where you were like, okay, let me wake up? I mean, after you're off the team, I already told you know the audience about after you're already still running yeah. for months. One, one day the coach put four freshmen from that team on the track, and they said, the four of you are going to run a mile. The f- people who finished third and fourth are off the team. I was broken, too tired to get out of bed, and it was a cold March day. It was like 40 degrees out. I ran a 4.30, like 8 or something, like something. Dude, that's fast. No. That, them, see, see them, you're saying no, but like in real life, like I always want you to know and understand that in like real life, that's fast. I, I will understand. But I know in the realms of like – Semi-professional sports, basically, what it is. D1 is semi-professional sports. 
for for the sake of the podcast, I want I want the listeners to know like my perspective on that. I thought a four thirty eight was garbage slow. That's fast. It was Just it in- was garbage, and the coach brought me in, and I knew my all my parents wished me at like good luck and like. Like they said, like listen, Jake. Like we believe in you. You've got this. And I ran. See, I just and I just I want finished. everyone to know. I'm not not to cut you off, but I just want everyone to know that 4:38 is under one minute and ten seconds a mile. A lap. A lap. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, under no. a minute and ten seconds. Under a minute and ten seconds. A lap. And at the same time, Jay, that's real. I ran a 4:33 in high school. And I, I probably was much faster in high school, to be honest, because yeah. the coach in high school was doing me many more favors, mentally and physically. Yeah. All the conditioning on your body and the is conditioning, probably different. Yeah, and well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a shell of my former self at this state. And and the I finished third that day. You finished third. Yeah, and the, so, ki- the, kid, the kid who finished fourth mm-hmm. knew he wanted to quit. So he sort of just mailed it in. You think? So he kind of just mailed it in. He goes into the coach's office and like left. And he, I think he felt a weight off his shoulders. He was like, he told me later on, he was like, oh, I knew I was off the team that day. And it was a good thing. I, however, gave it everything I had was broken, mm. went into the coach's office and the, the coach just sat there and said, well, Jake, like these things happen, like you're off the team. And I felt like my life was coming apart and I went home and I, I smashed m- my forehead into my like dorm room mirror and just cried for hours. Like it was, it was the worst day of my life. Mm. It was the worst day of my life. And it got worse before it got better Mm -hmm. because the depression that stemmed from this lasted years and my friends from home, from Danbury, it didn't resonate with them because they had been partying in a way that I desired but could not do completely different college experiences, you know, especially I know the people who were close to you at that time, completely different college experiences, yeah. gave up athletics, gave up the, you know, yeah, I mean, there were, there were a lot who were doing the ones who didn't give up, give up the ones who gave up athletics were very often the ones having a great time and partying and meeting girls and having so many friends. They had so many new friends and I was so jealous. I was like, I thought I was going to come to college and make all these friends. And it's like, there must be something internally wrong with me because I've made no friends. In fact, everyone I've met thinks I'm miserable. And, you know, in hindsight, I think I was a much more narcissistic and grandiose person. So, so you gave off energy that was, I think I, I think I I honestly gave off, I I think I gave off energy that was hard to resonate with and which is why I didn't make new friends. And, you know, no one, I, I didn't have anyone to tell me that, um, that like, you know, people didn't care how fast I ran. They care about the type of human I was. And yeah. meanwhile, the other friends I, I, who were very serious at track at Danbury were doing better than me. They were running decent times. They were still on their teams. And frankly, one by I one. I think that's bigger than running faster yeah. times. I think I would, I would think just sort of in the vein of that whole experience, right? It's more important to be on the team than mm-hmm. to run the fastest time. And that's, and that's crazy to even think like that. Yeah. One by one teammates from high school started resenting me and you think so or was that verbally uh... sometimes it was true some some i grew closer to mm-hmm. some started resenting me especially a lot of kids who were not as fast as i was in high school 
like the less developed ones who were going to D2 and D3 colleges, a lot of them started like making fun of me. Like, oh, look at because this big you shot. failed off in I, your freshman year. Because I had failed in my freshman year. And that was not quite as devastating, but it didn't help. You know, it was, I felt ashamed of who I was as a human being. Really? And what stemmed from all of this was, um, I guess, the question you asked 45 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. So No, no, no. But it, it was, just, uh, just 25. It, it was important to touch on that because that sets like the base of why I did everything that I did. So freshman going into sophomore year, the summer starts and I'm off the team and I must get back on this team. I must have a movie style redemption. I must run a 410 mile. I must. And be prefontaine. I must be prefontaine. I must have the comeback story. Run, pre, run. I must have the comeback story. But that doesn't happen. It doesn't. What does happen is I start running 10 miles a day mm-hmm. at 6 a.m. Then at 8 a.m., I shower and I go to Chick fil A, where I work as a cashier from 9 until 3 because they give me the hours. Then at 3. I go to, um, I drive to Waterbury where I, I take a statistics class because did I mention my grades tanked because my mental crisis, like I had a two, one going Whoa. my first semester of, of college Whoa. and I was trying as hard as I could. I wanted good grades. I, I wasn't the smartest going into college, but I, I wanted to get like the best grades I could. Cause this was the beginning of the rest of my life, you know, and I, I really cared about that. So I was going to every study hall. I was Whoa. I was doing everything I could, um, but I, I everything I had amounted to a 2-1 my first year, my first semester. First semester, yeah. So I was retaking statistics, which I had failed as a summer class, and I was driving 40 minutes to Waterbury from the mall in Danbury to go take. And... I would do that three days a week and then, but I was working at Chick-fil-A six days a week and I, I would, I would get out of that class and I'd go home and then friends would hit me up. And I think they, a lot of the time they were trying to help me, but also they were just trying to do them. So I almost felt like they were pitying me and hanging out with me out of pity. And then they would want to go out and smoke or go out and party or drive somewhere and I'd be in the back seat of the car on fumes, mm. almost ready to pass out. But I would hang out until maybe one in the morning. And then unfortunately, as a slave to my own ambition, I would wake up at 6 a.m. to go run 10 more miles and do it again. Every day. Every day. And Every day. What, what ended up happening was I saved up enough money and I studied abroad in Africa for six weeks that summer. I was so determined to get to Africa because it represented like I can do something. I can... Freedom, I, liberation. I, I do something outside of trying. Ha- I had been denied success for so long by so many failures that I was determined to make this one work. And I went. And an interesting thing happened. Everyone on that trip at the start hated me. Why? I was obsessed with track. All I talked about was running. All I talked about was track and field. There was almost no other aspects to my character aside the ones associated with grandiosity and track and field, I hadn't yet grown as a human being. 
I was simply obsessed to getting to the point where I had been so miserable. I think it's so interesting seeing who you are after all those experiences. And I would say really getting to know you after all these experiences. Because this is the longest conversation we've ever had one-on-one. Right here, you know. Mm-hmm. So getting to know you, like, really, literally during this conversation, I think, is is wild. I think it's it's really telling. But one thing that you um, alluded to a bit in the beginning and that you spoke to me before about was growing up with three dads. What does that mean? Break it down. Well, um, I, I, at the start of this very podcast, I, I talked about how I was born in New York City to my mom, who was a flight attendant, and my dad, who worked on Wall Street as a real estate agent like a real estate um, partner. He was a partner okay. of a firm. And then it was it later all fell apart during the housing crisis in 2007. Real but, estate, housing. Yeah. We could I, see how that happened. Yeah. I think that had a direct role in my family, which no one could have controlled. But if I'm, if I'm to, you know, kind of even start from a earlier position, um, my mom grew up in Oregon. And my dad grew up in Boston. My mom's name is Kaylin, and she 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 went, she grew up in Portland, Oregon, and she had a high school boyfriend whose name was Craig. And her and Craig dated for like six, seven years. But when high school ended, my mom had a dream to travel the world quite like I, I did, probably because of her influence on me. But she decided she wanted to become a flight attendant. Craig, on the other hand, was this really great skier and he wanted to stay in the area because there were mountains and that's what he was in love with so Mm -hmm. they ended up going their separate ways but they were still close my mom moved to houston for training to become a flight attendant and then later moved to new york city like manhattan with two other flight attendants where craig stayed in poland oregon and just did red cross skiing on those mountains um just not really skiing in Manhattan. So he couldn't really go with her. So they kind of like did their thing. And my mom started dating someone new in Manhattan. My, my father, Greg, it's really confusing. Cause his name is Greg. The first guy's name is Craig, Craig and Greg. Yeah. We're going to have to be very clear on how we, uh, emphasize their names. Just, so just Craig. Craig. Yeah. Let's keep that. It's confusing. But, but yeah, so my mom got pregnant with me and her and Greg have me in 1998. They, they live in Manhattan. Your mom got pregnant with you. All right. In 1998, 1998. And your mom and Greg, Greg, the, the guy one she met in Manhattan after Craig in Oregon started a life together. They started a life together and they moved to Danbury from New York City when I'm five. And um, that's when I start school, and they end up having two more children, my younger sisters, Isabella and Ava. I'm five years older than Isabella and mm. seven years older than Ava. And then several years later, like nine years later, 2007, the the housing crisis happens and we lived in this gigantic house on Deer Hill Avenue and they split up and it's really nasty. It's 
it's like typical back and forth this and that i'd say it goes beyond typical it's like they they really went from like i remember three weeks before it all fell apart my my father greg pulled me aside and said listen jake everything's gonna be okay between me and your mom i was like eight or nine so i remember thinking like Oh, I didn't. I was in crisis. You would have been ten. I ten, yeah, eight, seven, but eight, yeah, or, yeah eight, yeah. nine, ten, eight, nine, ten, that. around that, probably yeah. nine or ten. You're right, but I remember thinking, oh, I didn't realize anything was wrong. And three weeks later, I I get home from school and my mom's not there. And little did I know that my family had like a complete utter fallout earlier that day, and I wouldn't discover for really years later what really happened that day. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, gosh, I hope my parents don't like really hear this for too long, but it's the truth. Like they had both been cheating on each other Mm -hmm. in different parts. And I didn't understand this for years. I actually didn't find out for years. What really happened? What really happened? They, it's kind of like one was CNN and the other was Fox News. You're going to, if you watch one for what it's worth, you're going to get a completely different story from the other. So, But it still derives from the same facts. I guess, yeah. And it's just like, it's two perspectives of a story. They both admitted facts to right. me growing up. There's, and, there's admitted facts, yeah. but the narratives are completely different. Yeah. Right? Within two years enters David, um, who's dating my mom. Your third dad. My third dad. He's a, he's a flight attendant. And he ends up being a really positive impact on my life at the time. He he was cool. He was suave. Him and he he had a better connection with my mom than Greg had. But it you know it was strange. But I was just trying to deal with it. I also went through a period where I really hated Greg. But a lot of it stemmed from what my mom was telling me about Greg. So I wasn't right. sure how much of it derived from my own personal experience with him and what my mom was telling me about him. Meanwhile, Greg was. He wasn't MIA. He was very much there, but he felt like a thorn in my side at the time. And Greg, Greg, and yeah, and it it was just really confusing, and it was really messy. I'm in middle school, and I had gone from a Lutheran middle school where everyone was. I had like a class of seven kids, seven kids in the fourth grade, ten kids in the fifth grade, thirteen kids in the third grade. So everyone knows each other. Not a well-funded school. No, it's very... <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, no, it's not a lot of it's, kids. It's very yeah, well-funded. Well-funded, but very close-knit. It's very, very rich yeah. and very, like, close-knit and yeah, behave. I went from, like, a really, like, well-behaved kid at Park Ave to, like, like the, the bad boy at Emanuel Lutheran because I was rough on the playground and... You were pushing I, I would people off out. the monkey bars. Yeah, I was pushing... That was, like, normal behavior at Park Ave. And then, then what happened was... Park Ave ended in fifth, and I went to Rogers Park, where I guess I had Lutheran been, ended in fifth. Lutheran, it, it really yeah. ended in eighth, but my parents took me out and put me back into public school, school. probably because they couldn't afford it, but really because probably because they had gotten a divorce and the housing crisis had made my that's dad lose his job. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so lot. I I went back to public school and where I had fit in very well with everyone else in um in Lutheran. No, well, both in Lutheran and in Park Ave, the kids at Park Ave had grown for three years in a way that I hadn't. So I went from a very, like, very 
like with it kid to a very like sheltered kid. And now I'm Park Ave. I'm like, I'm weird. Not to mention my parents are going through all this bullshit. So I don't know what the fuck's going on. And I just want to highlight that those, I feel like those are three very important years. Third, fourth, fifth. And then, yeah. And then sixth, seventh, eighth, like I went to getting my ass kicked. So I'm saying that's a lot of catch up. Yeah. Like, cause I feel like for most kids, for most kids, Entering into sixth grade is challenge, mm. whether socially, mentally, physically, and education-wise. Right, right. You're dealing with a whole plethora of um, your young adolescence already, let alone trying to play catch up. Yep. So you felt like you were trying to play catch up on just normal social interactions, or just yeah, what yeah. exactly. I felt broken. I couldn't understand. Like, college was, the year in college was worse, but this was another really tough year for me, sixth grade, because I just couldn't understand why all the kids I knew in Park Ave when I was really younger mm-hmm. were suddenly not wanting to hang out with me, and it's because I was just, I didn't, I, I was inept on all these social faux pas. Like, I had been cultured and grown and cultivated in a different way, and I couldn't catch back up immediately, and it, it was really tough. I would get beat up in the locker rooms, and... I got called a, a fag like every day, and there was all these other mm. kids, which I, I assume is normal for middle school. But I feel like as I would say, especially in that yeah, time, in that time, like that's going to happen. The mid two thousands to you know early yeah, two tens, but it was tough because I had all this shit going on at home. Yeah. My family had imploded, so I'd go home and it would suck, and I'd go to school and it would suck, and it was just really terrible all around. In eighth grade. Things are getting more normal, but my mom and David sit me down one day at a table. And they said, Jake, we need to talk to you. And at first I think, fuck, they found all my porn. The, I say that, like, seriously, it's it's meant it to... It sounds like a rehearsal line. It's, well, I've told this story many times. So, <laughs> so it, come, it is a rehearsal it comes out, It comes out this way because it's like, I've had to tell this story many times. Every time I'm explaining the story. Is this like your party story? Uh, like no. When you're at a party, you tell people about your three dads? In a very literal way, I guess, yeah, because, you know, you tell something again and again, you get used to telling it, and it comes out the same way, and it's like, you With drop, it's like a, a it's, like a com, it's like a comedian, like Kevin Hart doing a stand-up routine, he knows how that story's gonna go, and he knows what parts are gonna elicit, like, the most interest, and, interest and most reaction, and so it's like, I remember, that's not... An exaggeration. That's how it happened. Really? So I remember wow. when I tell the story, that pe- that part gets people engaged. So like, oh, no, it does. This like, is what I've heard this story before. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you could probably go into more detail yeah. here, but like, <laughs> whoa. I, 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 my parent, David, Third the day. flight attendant, and okay. I try not to number them. Okay. I just, in my, no, to keep track everyone, of the audience, I, one, two, everyone numbers Craig, them. Greg, David. But I feel like it's rude to them to number them. You know, mm-hmm. they, they've all left some imprint on my life. So I, I apologize. I no, do don't, I, I don't apologize. Ever, I, 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 I know I can make the effort to remember Craig, Greg, Craig, Greg, David, Craig, Greg, Greg David, David, David and my mom, they weren't, they weren't married yet, but they were together. They're an item. Mm-hmm. And David had been my life for like two years. They, but they sent me down and they said that we need to talk to you. I think, I think initially they have found like the porn I was watching. So I'm freaked the fuck out and I'm very anxious. Yeah. And they sit me down and they, they start, my mom starts telling me about this guy, Craig out West. And I'm thinking like, oh geez, like 
or not OGs, but like, okay, yeah, you've told me about like your high school boyfriend and growing up like a little bit, like, what does this have to do with anything? So she gets out this mug, like a coffee mug, and she sets it down on the table and she's like, Jake, who does that look like? And it's like me, but with a goofy face and like my whole world is like, like, holy shit. Like, like you mean to tell me that this guy who's been raising me is not my bloodline? And then like, it was weird because my sisters were from him and he was to me, my father. It's all you've known. So it was like an identity crisis. And meanwhile, they had told Greg the same day. Greg didn't know either. Wow. And Craig didn't know. Well, this is tough because it's like, I imagine Craig knew when he didn't say anything. And it's like, did they have some preconceived idea or whatnot? But Craig's role in my life is not toxic. It's as healthy as it possibly can be. He later I'll get into it. He's more, he's more like a cool uncle. Like he taught me how to snowboard and quite literally in a very strange way in a nurture versus nature way. He is so much like me down to the mannerisms that I almost, I I really wish a lot of my close friends growing up will meet him and they probably will someday. Mm -hmm. They're going to get a kick out of how there's an older version of me who kind of like grew up and did his own thing. And he's into skiing. His skiing was like my running an obsession. I just want to make this point. I think it's super interesting because regardless of what your environment is, like you said, nature versus nurture or, you know, just biological, I'd say, is you can't get away from that. You cannot get away from innate characteristics, mannerisms, likenesses, that's that's your dad. Mm. Like, granted, you know, Greg did his thing. David has done his thing. Fine. Cool. Great. We appreciate that. We love that for you. But his snowboarding's your run. Yeah. You know that line in you, that thing that runs in you. You can see where you got you can mm-hmm. see where you got it from. My mom That's wild. Yeah. So it is very wild and it's freaky. And it's like, how much did I take from Greg? How much did I take from Craig? And how much did I take from David? And the answer is like, it's like one third a piece. You think I, so? Yeah, it's growing up, it felt a lot more like rather than having one dad, it was like one third of each, where my mom was like completely my mom. But David also had two kids of his own, I should mention, mm-hmm. from a previous marriage. My younger siblings, step siblings, Johnny Lee and Luke. Okay. So now I have Isabella and Luke, who are the same age. Johnny Lee is two years older than Isabella. So I have four siblings, effectively. Now when Craig comes in the picture, he has three kids of his own and a wife, Angela. Wow. My half-siblings, who are half my blood, um, Anna, who is the same age as Luke and Isabella, Kellen, who is like the same age as Ava, and Owen. So Anna, Kellen, and Owen. And I'm the oldest of all of these kids. I end up, my whole family on my mom's side lived down in Portland, Oregon. And they lived right down the street from Craig. 
because they had all grown up together. Really? My a lot of my family wow. knew Craig wow. through my mom. So I end up when I'm in eighth grade, I fly out and I meet this guy. I also remember all by yourself. No, my mom kind of introduced me to him, and my family was very supportive. And Craig and his wife Angela like had a conversation with their kids about how they had an older sibling, mm-hmm. me, and. I began my relationship with Craig and to this day he's he holds the role of biological father in my life but he feels more like a really cool friend uncle. He's not a parental figure at he's all. He's not a parental figure. But he is my father and when I met him it was it's bizarre every I I see him once twice a year. Mhm. And he taught me how to snowboard. It's a really cool bond I have with him. He speaks, walks, talks, does very similar things to me. Mannerisms, yeah. Mannerisms are key. The uh I do in between <laughs> pauses when I'm thinking. Yeah. Similar. The way I hold myself is the same as him. When we are standing upright, a lot of people naturally stand like this. Him and I stand like forward one like I didn't notice it until three years after I knew him when I was talking with him one day. And he goes, yeah, when I stand, like, I put my my foot forward and I kind of hold myself in a unique way. And I realize I've been doing that my whole life. Why? It's just, it's just how genetic. you do it. Yeah, it's yeah. just genetic. And it's like, even now when I'm in a group of people, I don't stand like this. I stand like this. It's more comfortable to me. It's... That's it's like a, you're about a break dance. That I, I, I can't break dance on It's like you're always about but, a bus to move. But I guess it's it's purely genetic, which is like crazy. You can spin off that. Because there are there are things I've taken it's from crazy. Greg yeah. and things I've taken from da- David. David taught me how to talk to women, how to dress, and Greg taught me how to finesse people. <laughs> what is what does that mean? Dude? Well, he's he 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 talked to me how like to sell and how to Okay. How to, you know, like... Because that was the nature of his business, though, too, right? He's an entrepreneur. Right, okay. And that's just what he taught me. So you have to sell yourself and sell your product yeah. and sell your company. Okay. Mm-hmm. They all taught me different things. Greg also taught me how to, like, persevere and, and like, work hard for something. And Greg never taught... Or Greg taught me to never quit, no matter what. Which probably played a large role in my college pursuit of running, but... I put that for the better rather than for the worse because overall that has helped me immensely in life. Because this is my thing. It's because the way I'm sort of understanding it is that although you have three separate fathers, I'd say two parental fathers and one biological father, the way you explained it, regardless of all of that, these three guys all have a lot of the same characteristics in a way. So is it that sort of like by happenstance, by chance, your mom actually provided you with a consistent father figure in their characteristics? I guess. I mean, because I because I'm just the way I'm understanding it is there's like Greg had passion and drive. Craig had passion and drive. David had passion, passion and drive. They all never gave up. They all you know had that one thing that yeah. they loved and did They're did that for it, it, this is where it gets complicated because my mom and Greg hate each other 
hated my Greg nowadays does not hate my mom, but my mom hates Greg with a passion. And it's it's tough because my parents cannot all speak together. Really? David cannot speak to Greg or Greg or Craig. He can't speak to Craig? Yeah, he doesn't like Craig. Why not? Because he If you don't was mind me pa- asking, of course. No, it's okay. I'm an open book. He's the past flame of my mom in that just carnal he doesn't men. he doesn't okay, like that yeah. you know it's yeah, yeah. very david's certainly the most masculine of all three okay like masculine he, or or macho machismo uh same either or masculine machismo like maybe both david comes from texas where it's a straight up he was raised in tennessee but lived in texas mm. so i have roots in the west roots in the east and roots in I mean, I would call it Texas, not the South, because the South and Texas are kind of different. What? Well, it's, it's they're the similar. It's the Texas. Is I think a, the Bible Belt. Yeah, is different. Yeah, than, I'd put it that way. If if you maybe. consider them, you can group them together. But yeah. Texas and like Alabama and Mississippi and Florida, like the three of them are different. Yeah, yeah. Texas yeah. is different from the Deep South, and the Deep yeah. South is different from Florida, and Florida is different from Texas. But yeah. like Georgia, but still and Texas, like it's still like the South. Like yeah. so, it's like no, it's East, just, West, and South. So I have West yeah. in me, I have East right. in me, and I have South in me, which I've always actually taken pride in the diversity. Um, granted, they're all white men, heterosexual white men, but not much diversity there. Brother. Not much diversity there, <laughs> but. <laughs> but it, yeah, no. but like if you can get what I'm saying. But in like, terms of perspective, in I, terms I, of the, lived experience, I think for sure. Mm-hmm. In terms of the macho machismo, I, I guess David is very macho machismo. Greg is very hustler, mm-hmm. like like a hustle entrepreneur, like go getter salesman type. And Craig is very like like go with the flow, east okay. west south, mm-hmm. like interesting influences on me and yeah to this day they all have a very significant role in my life i'd say david and greg more so than craig but craig's still very influential i see him several years and i was on the phone with him the other day i'm gonna go snowboarding with him out west very soon because it's that time of year mm-hmm. um i try to see him as much as possible but Greg, it's like I have a funeral with him on Sunday, and David, I was with yesterday, and on Thursday when he gets back from Amsterdam with my mom, they're on a trip to Amsterdam right now with the two of them working. That's a work trip for them. Right. I'll see him again. They're all, they're all prevalent, present in my in my life, and I have. It's difficult, but and very unique. I, I would I would say unique. I think when you first told me that story, I was taken aback not that the fact that it could happen but just like wow like the way like she took out a mug and said who does that look like Mm -hmm. like that's kind of like and again i laugh because it's it's wild but it's like there's no rule book for telling someone hey this dude that you thought was your dad is no longer your dad and me and this me and your new dad are telling you that this guy who thought was your dad isn't your dad. You know what I mean? It's your biological like, father. Like they're right. all your dad, and it's like, how do you def- how do you determine dad? It's like you cannot number them. Right. It's, right. You can't rank them. People. When I explain either. this story, people very frequently go, "Okay, so your first dad, and then this is your second dad." And I'm like, "Yeah, you can't number them. It's confusing as fuck." Yeah. Like, 
One is biological. One raised me. One currently is married to my mom and gives me stellar advice and is always there for me and has done a lot for me. Put this barn together for me. David is the person who did this for me. Yeah. They all have some sort of claim contributed for to, sure. to how I was raised. Not not purely them by themselves, but very much like like they all claim a piece. And that's why I said growing up, it felt like... You legit had like, three dads. It's like, it, it felt like a lot more like one third than one solo figure. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I had more than anyone else. In fact, it felt more fractured growing up. But nowadays, it's Craig is a lot more like an uncle with a very unique like bond. And David and Greg are more prevalent figures. And like David, they both put in effort. And it's like I can – two of them more so than the third. But the third is still very special. Not to mention a couple of years later – Greg remarried to a doctor named Christy. So so I have a, a stepmom. And she's very lot. she's very great. Like Christy had three kids of her own from a previous marriage. My step siblings, Kaylee, Elijah, and Timothy. And Kaylee is the same age as Ava and Elijah's slightly younger. Mm-hmm, yeah. So that like But it's this big like uh, I don't I have yeah, this- I have a set of half siblings on one side, a set of step siblings on another side, and it's another set of step siblings on another right. side. Ten separate siblings, split four different ways, and I'm the oldest of all of them. So I officially, wow. I, I serve as a role model for all of them. Family holidays and pictures are weird because it's like, do you have to hop around? Or I do do? hop around, and Isabel and Ava, my. Yeah, my immediate, mom and Greg. I would say immediate, right? They hop around with me for some, but not for Craig's section. Right, that right. section's completely mine, and it's just like I am, I have three different fathers to contact on Father's Day and Christmas and Thanksgivings that are always like weird. A lot of gifts, huh? Yeah, and it's <laughs> a lot of privilege, if you, if you will, right? A lot, like, of, a lot of I would say privilege in terms of you know different perspectives and experience. You know, yeah, and it's um, it's a blessing more than it would ever be a curse. I'm grateful for it. If anything, I I love that it makes me unique. And frankly, if I could go back and be raised a different way, I wouldn't. Yeah, no, more, I, I I wouldn't think you'd even want to be in, in any way. It's more people to love. Yeah, more it, people who are there for me. What do you do when your life changes? What do you do when you think everything is true, but it's a lie? Whether it's the family, parents, as you can see, uh, girlfriend, uh, boyfriend, uh, wh- whatever it is, job. I thought I had this in check, but now I don't. Jesus, whoa, what do you do? So, part three coming up. Stay tuned um, for it all. Um, This conversation was pretty interesting. So, yeah, 